hello and welcome to Mobile Forum's podcast on the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on digital identity services. My name is Elina Matila and I'm the Executive Director at Mobile Forum. First, a very brief intro to Mobile Forum for those of you who are not familiar with us. Mobile Forum is a global industry association empowering banks to shape the future of digital financial services. We are a not-for-profit member-based association providing a platform for our members for strategic discussion and collaboration on a particular area of interest. The participants in this podcast are key members of Mobe's Digital Identity Expert Group. The expert group consists of subject matter experts from Mobe's member organization, and they represent different parts of the digital financial services ecosystem. So we have banks, technology providers, card schemes, and so on. Uh, and with such a broad representation, the expert group can really provide a broader and more commercially neutral perspective, as there isn't just one interest or perspective being brought forward. The group has recently published a paper looking into the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on digital identity services. And we will discuss some of the key conclusions from the paper in this podcast. If you're interested in the report, it can be accessed on the Mobile Forum website. I'm pleased to introduce our panel of well-known experts and key participants in Mobile's Digital Identity Expert Group. So first of all, we have Dan Johnson. He's the Vice President of Digital Identity at MasterCard. And Dan has a very long career in looking into the topic of digital identity and has previously worked as Head of Digital Identity at HSBC. Hello, Dan. Hello. Next up, we have Mikko Hiekkataibale. He's a Senior Product Manager at Nordea. Because working in the area of strong customer authentication, authentication devices, e-identification, PSD2, and other similar topics. Hi, Mikko, welcome. Hi, and thanks for inviting. And finally, last but not least, we have Arjen Hollander. He's Business Development Manager of Digital Strategy at Thales Group, Banking and Payments. And he's responsible for driving innovative offerings in identity, retail, and payments. Welcome, Arjen. Hi, Elina. Thanks for having me. So as a result of the sudden increase in people staying at home due to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we have seen an unprecedented acceleration of digitalization across many different sectors and in many countries. Uh, in many instances, the sudden need for digital services has highlighted the absence of adequate methods of identifying oneself digitally. Uh, even in regions where digital identity services have been in place for years, the pandemic has been a real test of the extent to which they really enable citizens to operate fully digitally. And some of the topics that we'll touch on, uh, how the pandemic has highlighted the shortcomings in existing digital identity services, uh, we'll look at both the less mature as well as the more established digital identity services, and how the usage of the current services has been affected by the pandemic. We will also talk about the COVID-19 tracing apps and what their possible implications for digital identity services are. So the group in this report, as well as in previous work, uh, has identified that banks are in a unique position to seize the opportunity presented by digital identity and are best placed to lead the discussion and implementation going forward. So Mikko, I'll throw this one at you since you're the bank representative on this panel. Uh, maybe you can explain why the group believes that banks are best positioned to deliver digital identity services. I think that there are actually several issues which support this. So first of all, banks by nature enjoy a certain level of 
extra trust from from the customers and from the citizens and also for a long time in digital works uh, banks have been offering different kind of digital trust services so for example payment cards are a form of electronic identification although people don't often consider these as one so those have been used by the people and trusted by the people for a long long time also banks by nature already now since we have loads of internet banking services and so on we have the authentication services and processes for issuing these services already existing so kind of building up the general uh, electronic identification top of this is way more easy and cost efficient compared to if you would have to start building the whole ecosystem from scratch and uh, maybe it has been seen that quite often the actual technical part of the EID solution is not that difficult, but the, the most difficult part is, is the, the processes and how to manage the creating the initial digital identity. So the, the customer initial authentication and how to build it so that it can be trusted in different cases. And uh, banks by nature actually have to take care of this and partially by the business, partially by the legislation. So we have to take extensive care of knowing who our customers are and maintaining this information. And also from the legal side, there is a very special rules and regulation around bank secrecy. And I, I think that this also kind of improves the, the trust around EID services banks are building. Thank you, Mikko. So, so I hear trust is kind of very important and one of the key issues here. Okay, so let's move on to the impact of the pandemic on digital identity services. We have very different markets represented here in the panel. So it would be interesting to hear from each of you what the effect of the pandemic has been on each of your markets. Uh, so Arjen, maybe you could start. Um, I know you've been working with the It's Me service in Belgium. Can you share any insights on how the service has been impacted by the pandemic? And if there are any other markets where you ha that you're familiar with and, and where you have interesting examples from, please feel free to share those as well. well it's been quite interesting, actually, what's been happening in Belgium. Um, you could definitely speak of a corona bump, as we also mentioned in the report. Um, maybe first to clarify our role at It's Me, Thales provides uh, some vital components to the It's Me mobile application, such as our authentication technology. Um, and if you ask me, It's Me is one of the most interesting examples of a fast-growing, successful digital IDs in Europe. It's it's quite young. It's only approximately four years old at this point in time. So looking at some statistics that were shared by It's Me, you can see immediately how far-reaching the effect of COVID-19 has been on our ways of living and working. In March, April, and May, for example, It's Me outstripped the already high expected upward trend in usage by more than 30%. Uh, the volume of its signing offering, so the qualified electronic signature for signing documents, the use of that has actually doubled in the lockdown period. So put that in some numbers. That from the start of uh, the scheme up until February 2020, growth was pretty linear. It was a very steady growth, growing up to about 1.7 million users in uh, early March 2020. But if you jump forward to today, it has actually grown with about 35%. And at this point in time, 2.3 million Belgians are are using uh, It's Me on a, on a very regular basis, which means that actually 30% of all eligible Belgians use the It's Me digital identity scheme which is a phenomenal achievement. It definitely helped by COVID to bump up these numbers. Also, not only the 
amount of people that use the scheme, but also the number of transactions. So the actual use cases have grown significantly. In March of this year, uh, about 4.5 million transactions were recorded on a monthly basis. And if you take it to the end of May, which is just a very short time frame, this already jumps to over 8 million transactions on a monthly basis, which is a number that is holding steadily uh, at until this day, doubling the usage in, in only a short period of time of three months. So in short, if you look at it, not only the number of users grew much faster than uh, than before, also the total numbers of transactions grew significantly, showing that users are definitely more using It's Me and that Corona has had this impact. Um, it definitely accelerated the digital transformation in Belgium. And uh, it also looks like this is a lasting effect. People are not switching back to offline, but are more interacting through It's Me with the different digital services that are existing in Belgium. On any other markets, yes, we see in markets around the globe, we see that the bump, the corona bump is definitely there. Uh, unfortunately, it's not as uh, easy to come across a, a scheme such as it's me that uh, is quite open in sharing their data. So I can't share any specific data like the, with it's me, but it's very much so that we see a, a corona bump occur around the globe in the different identity schemes that we work with. Thank you for sharing those numbers as well and those insights. And I guess the key here is to ensure that, that even after the pandemic and, and once people can more freely interact outside physically, we you know you keep those numbers growing for this digital identity services. So I guess that that's kind of the challenge then in, in the longer term. So Dan, in the UK, the existing digital identity offering Verify um, had been struggling to take off prior to the pandemic. Um, so did the pandemic accelerate the adoption of the service? Did it spark a wider discussion about uh, national digital identity in the country? It absolutely has. So like in every country, the pandemic has provided a real demand for digital identity and the need to verify yourself and also provide data about individuals. Um, as a community, it's made us question who we trust with our personal information um, and started to really highlight privacy concerns. And a good example of that is the ongoing fraud and hacking issues that have been reported. So HMRC uh, reported a 3.5 billion fraud case back in September, which has been pinned on a lack of proper digital identification. Um, so around 5 to 10% of furlough uh, payments were wrongly awarded. Last year, the Public Accounts Committee estimated that around 30 billion in tax was lost uh, due to taxpayer error and fraud. And both HMRC um, and the Treasury were ordered to appear in front of MPs to explain how they were intending to reduce this problem. There has been an enormous uptake of Verify registrations um, as a result of people needing access to universal credit uh, related to furlough payments um, since March. So there's, there's definitely been a lot more awareness of need for digital identity and the value of having an identity service. Uh, the government itself have engaged much more in consultations with the uh, public and private partnerships to collaborate and, and deliver a digital identity infrastructure uh, that has both privacy and, and trust principles in top of mind. Um, also, a track and trace app was launched that uh, resulted in more than a million downloads in the first 24 hours um, of its release. Uh, which again, I think highlights the fact that there is an increased awareness of identity and the uh, need for identity. And then finally, we have been talking a lot more. So as a nation, really been talking around about inclusion uh, and the fact for 
people do need um, access to uh, both public and private services, uh, but also that, you know, we do need to recognise that not everybody can obtain a digital identity in a way that we might consider kind of classic in, you know, using credit reference agency data and so on. Um, so, and also not everybody has a smartphone. And so we do need to spend more time thinking about how do we bring on board individuals that, you know, don't have smart devices, don't necessarily have lots of data that could be used to help to establish a digital identity. So there has been um, considerably more conversation across the nation ar around identity. Thank you. So it seems like the pandemic has really accelerated the discussion on a national level in the UK as well. Uh, so what about Finland, Mikko? So Finland has a very mature digital identity service that has been up and running for well over a decade. How well do you think the current service has been able to respond to the sudden need for everything to be digital? I think that in Finland and in Scandinavia in general, the corona hasn't caused that big problems from the identification point of view, because basically all adults, at least, they have bank accounts and that way they also have the EID. And, and in public services, about 95% of authentications are done with the bank credentials. And in Finland, a big applaud also to the government side. So they have been very active in, in digitalizing different services already before Corona. So we have the possibility to fill out our tax reports and apply for social benefits for all that in different government-driven digital services. Of course, lots of improvements are still needed, but the kind of basic features are there and you could work in a digital manner already before Corona. So nothing had to be invented in a way, in a hurry. But of course, there are always some trouble when this kind of crisis hits. For example, this meant a big change, especially for elderly people who had also the bank accounts, they had the EIDs, but they were not so used to using those. And, and they were more kind of, they've got used to visiting physical service points. And then suddenly these were shut down or at least started to work on reservation basis and so on. So this has caused some kind of need for, for training these people, teaching how the, the EID works. Also, some tools might have been disabled and so on because not used. So this caused a load in banks' customer support, both online, so when, by calling our customer support, but also in the, in the branches. But at the same time, of course, also our branches reacted to the corona. And for example, most of our physical customer service points are working on only based on pre-booked meetings. So this has, in some cases, made the amount of time that it takes to get the authentication back up and running a bit bit longer. Of use cases, the same kind of problems has been among underage people or underage customers. So suddenly, if, for example, if you're 15, you possibly you haven't had a bank account or you haven't had the EID or at least you haven't used it regularly. So then getting kind of the first bank account opened has required some extra work from the customers and, and of course also extra time from the parents and so on and often required a physical visit to the branches. From the usage point of view, we can see some increase in, in the general usage of EID services, especially in the public services, but it hasn't been very dramatic. So. Of course, people, more and more people have started to do kind of support or using the services on their own instead of visiting branches. 
but still we talk about maybe 5% additional increase. And that's because the kind of overall usage of EID services has been growing for 15 to 20% every year for the past five, six years. So in that sense, everybody has been prepared that, that some increase will be there. In addition to public services, also healthcare companies have now introduced new digital services. So for example, time reservation systems to meet up the increased demand on um, Corona tests and so on. But again, in a big picture, nothing dramatic. So I would say that in general, the Corona hasn't caused any problems to the EID schemes in Finland or in Scandinavia. Thank you, Mikko. So very different view from Finland compared to the that one in the UK. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the COVID-19 tracing apps uh, and their potential impact on digital identity. So these are the apps that have been launched in various countries to help trace the chains of infection. Uh, and different countries have launched their own apps with slightly different designs. And in the group, we have had a lot of discussion around some of the crucial design questions that these apps have and that these potentially are very similar to the design questions in digital identity services. So things like um, where the data is stored, what data is stored and so on. So Dan, maybe you can take the first one and can you explain to us a little bit more about why these design choices matter and do local differences, do the local cultures play a part in these design choices? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and as you say, around the world, there are lots of different approaches for both public and private organizations developing and designing um, track and trace solutions and, and services. In Europe alone, we're seeing kind of two different tracks, one based on uh, the Apple and Google SDK uh, and the other based on public data, so healthcare records. And all of this really highlights an issue to be able to interoperate globally, which isn't isn't available. That that isn't happening. Each nation has its own technology, it has its own um, capability and service, and seems to work relatively well nationally, but certainly not not internationally. We're seeing the real value of these apps as moving us more closer to a globally interoperable network where trust and security and convenience really count above everything else, uh, even perhaps um, more than having a reusable digital identity. And if you think about how these uh, apps and services are working, they significantly reduce the need for multiple passwords and identity verification steps. Um, each time you check into a new location, you know, you simply scan a QR code or authenticate yourself using just one app. Um, and then, you know, you're able to check into multiple stores or services and you know register that you've that you've been there um, and this is um, creating much greater um, digital interactions for for individuals and the thing is that those apps are uh, not really don't store personally identifiable information so the app doesn't really know who you are which means that there's no data that can be shared or compromised or even disclosed when you're checking in, but that doesn't impair the functionality of the service in any way, which uh, in my mind is a really great example of the principles of data minimization and data privacy, which are absolutely key to the creation of an identity ecosystem. Um, and all of this really demonstrates the need for collaboration and partnership uh, and also orchestration in creating an, an identity ecosystem. And certainly that's something that MasterCard are really focusing on with identity ecosystems. 
Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you for that view. So, I mean, uh, you mentioned a couple of these design choices when it comes to data, especially. So, Miko, what do you think has made these apps a success? So, what has been done well in countries where these apps have been successful? Can you give some concrete examples? Yeah, sure. So, in Finland, the app is called Coronavilku, and I could say that it, it has been a huge success. So, only within a few days, it had gained more than one million loads. And today, I guess it has already passed the two million loads or two million activations uh, line. And this is quite a success in a country with only five and a half million citizens. So more than 50% of adults have loaded it and have it up and running in their phones. And I think one of the, the main reasons why this has been such a good success is has been based on the app design and also the very detailed open communication around the app and what it does. So the app, app itself was very easy to take into use. There was no authentications, nothing. So there was kind of the, the possibility of that the app would really know who you are has been closed down that way. So it doesn't ask any authentication. It doesn't ask your name, social security number or anything, but it is completely anonymous. And then the app itself doesn't kind of ask for any extra permissions from the phone. So it doesn't ask your GPS or your access to SMS or whatever, but it just asks the very minimum set. And those are very well explained that why the app, for example, needs access to your Bluetooth and so on. So that makes the people really see that there is even a theoretical possibility that some unwanted information could leak there. And also as part of the open communication, the app has been based on open source and it has been kind of tested for many times by several neutral security companies. And also these results have been published that no one has really found. And these have been then printed in media and so on and to improve the customers or the users trust around it. So, so far I haven't heard a single case where somebody would have really said a doubt about the app that it would somehow spy the customers and so on. Thank you. Thank you, Mikko. Very interesting. We also talked about the possibility of these COVID tracing apps being able to pave the way for national digital identity schemes. Arian, could you take this one and, and explain what the connection would be and, and how how could this help push digital identity? Well, I think it's actually quite a difficult question, right? So if you if you listen to the to the answers given by Dan and by Miko, it's um, the national the I, the COVID tracking apps that are currently being used are very much a sort of anonymized uh, apps where you don't share any personal data, where the use of, of tracking data is actually minimized. Besides TikTok, the COVID tracking apps are probably amongst the most debated apps of 2020. So many things have happened in the months since we are dealing with COVID and the opinion towards these kinds of apps, the impact on privacy, the security or, or the lack thereof. Um, Miko just mentioned that in the Finnish example, the app was validated by several security companies and no flaws were found. Uh, another example is actually in the Netherlands where the Dutch government, they released a public tender, 750 submissions were, uh, were there. Out of those seven were selected and out of those seven, uh, pretty much all were deemed to be completely insecure by a group of experts, which made the Dutch government pull back the tender. And, uh, and as of today, I think there is only a, a proof of concept out there, but nothing has been launched like it's been launched in, uh, in Finland or in the UK or in Spain, where I personally live. So there is a... Um, 
a sort of a secondary positive impact. And that is that I think that um, not only governments, but also banks are really starting to think more about the way that citizens interact with them and interact in general in the digital domain. Like, like Dan already said, is there is definitely increased awareness um, around the topic of digital identity, also about digital traceability and digital security. And our interactions in the digital domain are becoming much more normal than we maybe previously would have thought. So. COVID in general, and and perhaps therefore also the uh, the tracking apps are speeding up the digital economy and are speeding up the way that we are feeling certain about interacting in the digital space. There are still for to go from an app wherein in which you are completely anonymous to uh, an app where you are actively sharing in your data credentials, so your your different identity attributes. There are many things, let's say, to be done along the way. Um, in many countries, legislation is just lacking on the topic of digital identities. And you can now see that due to COVID, legislation is being pushed through. But to be really, let's say, uh, to be successful and, and turning the opportunity that tracking apps have into a real opportunity for national digital identity schemes where they don't exist today, um, a lot of things need to be done. But I do think that uh, due to the effect that it has on us in general being more comfortable with uh, interacting in a digital uh, way with either in-store, like Dan mentioned, with QRs or in the digital domain itself, it, it will pave the way for um, increased adoption. And therefore, it could definitely also increase the, the uptake of the use of digital identity schemes or the rapid growth of, of new emerging ones. Thank you, Arjen. So I think this brings us to the end of the podcast. Our time is up. It's been a very interesting discussion. Thank you, Arjen, Mikko and Dan for your time. From what we heard from you, Corona has clearly brought a broader understanding for the need of digital identity services. And the markets where digital identity has been available have seen an increase in demand um, or Corona bumps, as Arjen put it. And also there has been an, an increased interest in identity at both governmental levels and also an, an increased awareness among the general population. So all in all, it seems like Corona has been good for digital identity in that, that way. And the Corona tracing apps can maybe help accelerate the creation of digital identity services, although the link is not that clear and, and straightforward as Arian explained. And as we heard, the design choices there are very crucial in getting it right. So thank you all for this very interesting discussion. If anyone listening is interested in, in learning more, please have a look at the reports that the group has created on the Mobile Forum website. Thank you very much.